He can make it wonderful. Amen. Because he is wonderful. Amen. We have found him, Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the everlasting Father of his kingdom, his rule. There is no end. Amen. There's no end in my life. I know that. He's my king. Amen. And I love him today. Let's stand together. Oh, come let us adore him. everything to us you're our God oh it's so wonderful to be called your children your sons your daughters knowing that you would pour out your spirit upon us oh God and you have adopted us in your family not that we were strangers but that you have placed us as your sons in position of authority Lord how we love you today we want to thank you for your blessings to us we want to thank you for this Christmas season when we remember the great blessings of life Lord that you have given us and it's all because of you everything good comes from you comes from the Father above Oh, God, we love you and want to say today how much we appreciate you for this time, this season upon the earth. And it's but a short season, but it's in this season that we can give, that we can yield ourselves to you. It's in this season, Lord, that we can bear forth the fruits of Calvary, of what you did for us. It's in this season that we remember that you gave your life for us to redeem us. We ask your blessings upon us today, upon those that have gathered in your name, upon those that the unseen host that is also gathering together with us from different nations, different places, right here in America, Canada, different places, the little families that are gathered and 
Maybe they don't have a church to go to in their area, but they're able to come together and worship together with us. And I pray that you'll bless them in a special way, Lord. Let them know that they're not abandoned or forgotten, but you're the great shepherd and you will shepherd them and keep them, Lord. I pray, Lord, today that you'll help us to be an inspiration to your people, those that are suffering, suing, dealing with sickness, the dear little Hollis family, Lord, calling in and letting us know their needs. Pray, Lord, for them. They've been shut-ins for a while. Pray that you'll meet them with them. Sister Margaret Coleman down in the nursing home. Lord, you know her and her situation, her need. Lord, others that are not able to be here, maybe sickness or death in a family. Oh, God, what a horrible time to have to deal with sorrow and a, and a time that's should be a joyous season but Lord may we just realize the joy that we have knowing that you have great rewards on the other side let us not forget Lord as we've assembled ourselves together to worship you from the depths of our hearts to give our all to you in the name of Jesus as we read the word together as we talk about the things of life I pray that you'll bless the word to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Turn to someone next to you and wish them Merry Christmas. Amen. It's good to be together with the children of God today. And amen. Have this privilege of serving the Lord together, isn't it? Amen. I think it's a wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord and have this, um, this time to come together to honor the Lord Jesus here um, on Christmas Eve, and we just uh, want to wish each one of you a Merry Christmas and God's blessings upon you. Amen. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, I'm going to read this before you're seated, and I want to thank you for the wonderful music and, and also for my grandchildren singing that song, Wonderful. Amen. And it was wonderful, and Jesus is wonderful. Amen. Amen. We so appreciate the Lord this morning. Amen. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Just going to take a few moments before we get into the word just to speak to you just a little bit about this time of the year. As you know, um, here we're uh, at the Christmas season and there's many, many different thoughts about it, many different ideas 
about it, many different persuasions on, on how that we should conduct ourselves this time of the year. We know the origin of Christian um, being at the, uh, Christmas this time of the year is, is pagan as it can be. It's, uh, we just had the winter solstice, which was on or about the December the 22nd, where the days of sunlight has become shorter and shorter until now. And of course, the ancient people noted this and called it the death of the sun. And then following um, December 22nd um, or something like that, you know, the days will start getting longer and longer. And, um, and, and of course, even this time of the year for us, um, it, it happens. But it won't, it won't be till the middle of January that we'll notice, hey, we got an extra hour of daylight starting you know, getting around here, you know, and uh, around the, um, and that started right here around the 22nd or 3rd and just a little fragment of days, uh, length of days until it, it becomes uh, full-blown summer again and our days are long. That's the way it is here in the south. I don't know, it probably varies in different places around the equator. Maybe they don't tell much difference, I don't know. Maybe some in, uh, it's exactly opposite down in the southern hemisphere in Australia and New Zealand where we are starting into our first day of winter. They're going their first day of summer. So, you know, um, but the pagans um, celebrated this event and they would call it the sun god's birthday. And there are a lot of articles on the origin of Christmas, a lot of different opinions, a lot of views and I find even message believers are divided in their opinion on it and their ideas. There's a lot of different thoughts about it and uh, what's right, what's wrong, what we can do, what we can't do. But, um, you know, uh, and, and of course we know that in itself it's a, it's a Catholic holiday. Catholicism is known as a universal religion that combined Christian principles with pagan traditions. This was happened back with the Emperor Constantine where he tried to unite the pagan Rome with Christian Rome. He had kind of divided kingdoms, so he tried to unite them all together and so made a, a time of celebration for them all. And, and it's kind of a, a Catholicism then became a universal religion where kind of incorporated some of the paganism with Christianity and it became a very hybrid religion, even down to, um, you know, about 325, somewhere like that. Tertullian, one of their priests, uh, introduced the Trinity doctrine and uh, changed the formula of baptism to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so, you know, it was, it was early Catholicism, uh, the people who had accepted Christ, but still worshiped the Son because... Uh, even if you know Catholicism today, um, if you're Catholic in Africa, well, you can hold your heathen idol and worship him and also worship Mary and, and the saints and all of them others, you know, as well as, you know, just kind of because it's universal. And um, so, you know, it's like the Pope says, you know, they, we all serve the same God and we all are working for the same co uh, purpose. And so it's a universal religion. So some of the early Christians would worship both and they would worship Jesus 
and they would worship, of course, the uh, sun god, which, um, which was Jupiter. And now, not the planet Jupiter, but the, the, uh, the pagan, um, the pagan uh, figure of, of Ju- Jupiter, who was supposed to be the son of God. And um, so Constantine, a Roman emperor, in order to unite his kingdom, was composed of both Christians and pagans and made a holiday that all of his constituents could celebrate. And during the sun god's birthday, he also then celebrated the sun of God's birthday. So the origin of Christmas was to make a celebration for both of them, to just kind of unite the kingdom together. Now, when we embrace the truth of this message, there were many discrepancies of the church were exposed. A lot of the, a lot of the era were that things had went wrong. Uh, and we, we had a great desire in our hearts to have the pure word of God. And we saw that they had incorporated a lot of pagan and church traditions and and they had accepted this as the word of God. And we wanted to be free from denomination and the deeds of the great whore. Didn't want to be identified with her at all. And so we actually would go through a time of sanctification to find things that were wrong with what we believed. And wrong with even the, the things that we did. Uh, so we examined everything. Everything came under the microscope. Uh, like if you will read question and answers in 1964, you can see from the questions asked Brother Branham, um, people were at this level of, of sanctifying their lives. And for example, they asked the prophet, is, is it wrong for a woman to wear pajamas? Or should a woman shave her legs? And, uh, you know, Brother Branham would read this and shake his head and say, am I seeing things? You know, wait a minute, let me read this again. You know, he couldn't believe the questions that he was being asked. But um, we had a lot of questions that was on the sanctification level. We wanted to be right. Whatever was wrong, we wanted to correct it. We wanted to do right. And, um, and of course, as you know, in those early days, we had very few sermons of Brother Branham's available. I think we, my family, had a library of about 200 of Brother Branham's sermons and uh, that we had, I call it bootlegged, we had copied it from somebody else and found out later it was called stolen manna. Well, we didn't, we didn't figure it was stolen. We thought it was from God. So it, uh, we thought we were the sons of God. So we believed it was for us. And so we, uh, we, freely, we, we freely received it and we freely gave it. So, um, you know, we, we had a small little library. And then about 1967, we got our first printed copies of the sermons of Brother Branham started coming with the message communion uh, preached in Tucson and, and then and more and more and more would come. And as the years went on, we might get um, maybe from three to five to seven different sermons a year. And so little by little, we were getting a little more of the, of the prophet's message um, available to us, but it, it was, there wasn't much of it in print and, and it wasn't accessible. 
And some compilers would compile their quotes that made it, made it really seem wrong to observe Christmas and, or have Christmas decorations or to give gifts and so on. So we, you know, have, would have those books with com, the, the compiler's viewpoint that, that didn't put, um, uh, give us a balanced view, didn't give us the whole picture of the whole thing. And as a young student of the message, though, I, 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 after a while, I began to find some contradiction of what I deemed to be truth and what Brother Bannon believed in practice. And um, I found that as pastor uh, of, of Branham Tabernacle, Brother Branham's church would, uh, gave uh, Christmas baskets to the children with little gifts and fruit and things in there and they, to, to each child and he gave the church uh, gifts to Brother Neville, and, and then he received a gift from the church and gifts from others that he talked about and gave gifts to different ones. And he even opened up Christmas gifts with his son Joseph that were under a Christmas tree. And he continued to give gifts to his family even to his death. And when Brother Branham was going back to Jeffersonville, in his car was wrapped presents there in the wreck where, where they were going back home to uh, enjoy a Christmas celebration with the family. Well, you know, this was all contrary to what I understood and believed. I believed that there, uh, basically believed there was one God and that you were to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and that you must receive the Holy Ghost and God sent a prophet and no Christmas. And, but the more I studied, the more I was confused with these discrepancies on what I thought was a major doctrine, because I really believed it to be a major doctrine. And uh, when the, and and finally I got all the messages on computer and had access to everyone a way that I could search it, as you the church people know here, and even my minister friends know I was. One of the very first um, to advocate the, um, having the, the message on computer. In fact, I gave Donnie Reagan his first computer and with the message loaded on it. And, and uh, I remember um, telling Brother Perry Green, uh, uh, he, he said, what do, you, what do you want all this message on the computer for? Like, don't you know you're, you're going to be more accountable the more you have? And I said, listen, man, we're going to be accountable anyway. We might as well know what he said. So, you know, um, so I, I, but I set out determined to search out all the quotes on the subject of Christmas. And I was just going to preach one great big final finale on Christmas and kill it forever. That was my motive. I, I, I knew the message was progressive by then that the revelation of God came progressively to Brother Branham. And I, th I thought the answer would be in finding where Brother Branham progressed in his understanding. So like I said, my plans were to preach a message that would once and for all lay all these discrepancies to rest. And so I took every quote that Brother Branham spoke on this subject and I laid it out according to topics and you, you will not know, you'll never understand 
I, my devastation, how shocked I was to find that what I believed and what Brother Branham believed and practiced were two different things. We were on two different sides. And the reason I say that is I just want to say I believe that he practiced what he preached. Amen. So, you know, I think, you know, if you could see what he'd done with what the things that he talked about, the pagan origin and whatever, and see how he applied that even into his own life and so on, I think that you'll get a real clear picture because I do believe with all my heart he practiced what he preached. So I went back to the Nugget book, uh, quote book, and I found that there were many of those quotes that were taken totally out of context and they were misleading. Even the point of leaving parts out to make it say only the uh, things in the viewpoint of the compiler and his viewpoint was definitely against Christmas. Well, now I was faced, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I, I had years of sermons and teachings that I'd done with the limited quotes. And my reasons for relying on the message book was certainly not because of laziness, but because of some of those tapes I didn't even own. And many of them wasn't even in print. So, you know, they were little parts from sermons that I didn't even have maybe accessibility to. And it wasn't easy either to, to go and take a, a, a three-hour sermon, two- or three-hour sermon and find a little quote and then find where he said that and be able to listen to how he put it in context. So, you know... Um, so it wasn't because of laziness on my part. I did my due diligence with what I had. But, you know, um, I, I, had to, I had to re-examine everything. For example, on the issue of the Christmas tree, I, I found that there was not one reference in all of the message to Jeremiah chapter 10 being the Christmas tree. Not one. So if you'd think it was a major doctrine and something going to send you to hell, we'd at least had the prophet pointed out to us in the Bible where that this was wrong. And the, and the scripture they were using of Jeremiah 10, it wasn't, he never applied it in that way. He preached on it on the second coming of the Lord and he applied it to don't learn the way that the heathen do who worship idols and, and false gods and, and uh, say, where is the sign of his coming? And uh, so he said, don't learn the way of the heathen, but be ready for the coming of the Lord. So that's how he applied it. And so when I examined it carefully, I found out it wasn't, Jeremiah chapter 10 has nothing to do with a Christmas tree. He was speaking of taking a tree, making a graven image out of it, or an idol. And if you'll read it very carefully, this is what it's talking about. Just taking it, and then, to, you know, the workmen would carve, and they'd make a face on it, and they would decorate it with gold, and they would dress it. It would have to be carried from place to place. It could not speak. It could not hear. If you just read Jeremiah chapter 10, it's just saying, don't learn the way of the heathen. You've got to live in God. Don't follow after an idol. So, you know, I, I was friends with, uh, with Sister Rebecca Branham Smith, and so I thought I would ask her. So I called her up. I said, you know, did, did um, your daddy ever talk to y'all about let's stop having Christmas and let's don't, let's don't have a Christmas tree? She said, 
Well, uh, no, said, not really. He said, Dad loved to decorate a Christmas tree. I thought, okay. said, well, um, I said, so at Christmas, what will you do? He said, well, while we were in Jeffersonville area, we'd, we'd, Dad'd take the old truck out, and we'd go into the forest, and we'd cut us a tree down and bring it in the house, and Dad would, and us, we'd all just decorate it together and have a good time. And, and I, I said, well, but, you know, as things progressed and the word, as he said, the Bible became a new book to me. So what about 19, the last Christmas, what about it? Well, I said, well, I'll tell you about the last Christmas. I said, 1964. No, 1965. And I objected. But no, he died before Christmas on Christmas Eve today. You know, um, now in 1965. I said, so he wasn't there to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, I, I know. But before we left, mom had said, we're not going to decorate the, uh, the apartment. We're going to have all our Christmas celebration in Jeffersonville with the family. And I'll decorate there, but not here, Bill. And so dad didn't say anything. And so he disappeared for a little while. And he came back. Of course, you know, you don't go out there in the desert and cut down a cactus. Saguaros don't really, ain't really easy to carry in the house. So he went out to a little store and bought it. She said, the, the cheapest and ugliest little artificial Christmas tree I ever saw. And he was there in the middle of the floor assembling that thing and was whistling and singing and humming. And said, Dad just loved to decorate a tree. And said, um, said um, Mom come in and said, Bill. I told you we wasn't going to decorate here. We'd do that in Jeffersonville. She said, I know, Mita, I know, I know. This is for the kiddies. And said, went right on about putting up his tree. So he had, he had a tree in 1965 just before the Lord would call him home. Well, with all of this information, what I saw, what was I going to do? I was faced with a dilemma. I could just go on preaching as I'd always done, you know, just being... You know, just, just taking the same position stubbornly, you know, refusing to acknowledge all the things that I saw and heard and read and, and the balance that Brother Branham brought. Or number two, I could just ignore the subject completely and never talk about it again. And slowly over time, just play it down. You know, oh, well, you know, what difference does it make? And just play it down, never talk about it again. Or number three, I could confess my error, which I knew would bring hard feelings and separations from those that still held firmly to that belief, as some actually believed. You couldn't make the rapture if you had a Christmas, gave a Christmas gift or had a Christmas tree. Some of my own family believe that way. My mother, bless her heart, cried buckets full of tears, you know, that her children was going to miss the rapture. But, I, you know, I knew there was some that would feel betrayed and would call me a compromiser. So what was I going to do? And what I decided to do was to give everyone in the church a collection of those quotes. And this quote book would not leave out any quote on the subject which, uh, that Brother Branham spoke about, but let everybody just read it for themselves. And, you know, it would be their decision. Honestly, I don't care what kind of decorations you have. 
I would recommend you didn't have Santa Claus in it because that's a lie and a fiction story. It has nothing to do with what Christmas is to be about. But I, I, be, I believe that there, and you may wonder, well, what do you believe about Christmas today? Well, I believe there was a pagan celebration near the winter solstice and that participating in a pagan celebration is wrong. I think it is wrong to, to uh, celebrate and especially remember the Lord's, remember the Lord along with um, some type of, uh, of drunken revelry and parties of, that it, where they're drinking and dancing and, and, uh, and doing things wrong. I, I understand and I know that Christmas for many is a mass for Christ. I know the Bible does not tell us to have a day of remembrance for Jesus' birth. I cannot find where that the Bible tells us not to remember his birth. And I don't think that Jesus was born on December the 25th. I believe he was born sometime in the spring when lambs are born. But I do not believe that it is wrong to have a day to stop and remember that God sent a love gift into the world, no more than it's wrong to have a day of thanksgiving to pause and thank God for his harvest blessings. You know, it wasn't the third Thursday in, in um, November that the pilgrims ate turkey. They probably ate it as often as they could. But, you know, I don't know when that they did it, but it, I think it's, it's good to set aside a day and the family come together, remember at a harvest season of God's blessings on our lives and to thank God for his goodness. Even though heathen used to thank God for the same thing at harvest time. And so I want to read you a little quotation and, and we'll leave it kind of at this and conclude this part of it. And this is from God's gifts always find their places. So then being that it was converted Rome into Christianity was accepted in their way in Rome. Then they said, we'll make the same celebration and make the son of God's birthday. That see the sun God, Jupiter's birthday, then the son of God's birthday, uh, 25th of December and that. But what difference does it make? See? Today, when we are, even if, it's a, if they were doing it in July or August, or whenever it might be, it's still the sacredness of remembering that God gave us the hope that we have in us. And now you say, well, the rest of them's all Santa Claus and going on like this. Why, we might as well do it. No, sir. No, this is not a pagan celebration to us. This is a sacred hour. If there had been no Christmas, there would be no resurrection. If there had been no Christmas, there had been no love. There had been no peace. There had been no hereafter for the believer if there had been no Christmas. So I don't believe that you will miss a rapture for having a Christmas tree. I think that's your own personal decision, whether you have one or don't have one. I don't think you'll make the rapture, though, by having one either. It has nothing to do with your salvation. And it's simply a matter of choice as to whether you want to have one or not. I do not believe in Santa Claus. 
In fact, the thing that upset Brother Branham the most about Christmas was not placing the emphasis on Jesus. And I, I believe it's wrong and shameful and sinful to give another a gift in the name of Christ of such things like cigarettes or tobacco or alcohol or any gift that would be shameful to the memory of the greatest love gift that God ever gave to the world. So, you know, when you, when you hear where Brother Branham says this about um, this Christmas tinsel, said, I, I want to get away from this Christmas tinsel and, the, and swapping of these gifts for all this are intolerated with it will be burned with unquenchable fire. I want you to remember he is not talking about some little shiny shards of paper. He is not speaking about a pretty wrapping of gold or green or whatever color, shiny or gold, on your present. He is talking about the wrappings of religion that has been wrapped around the Christmas gift Christ. And... And so the trappings of, are the wrappings of religion and they make more emphasis on that wrapping of Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic than they do of the love gift, Jesus Christ. Now, you're not going to burn with fire by, by, um, by taking and, and taking a, a, an appropriate gift and and giving it to someone that's wrapped in pretty paper. You won't burn with fire for that, but you will burn with fire for rejecting God's gift and taking the tinsel of religion instead. Are you with me? Amen. So, you know, you you have to understand what Brother Branham was even talking about. He wasn't talking about the physical present. He wrapped presents. He had a tree. He decorated the tree. He had Christmas decorations. He said, now, I don't put up lights, but if I did, I'd have a big neon light that said, let's put Christ back in Christmas. So you see, you know, a lot of times we, we, our ideas were so carnal where that we were trying, we were legalistic. We were really trying, you know, our best to do what was right, but when, in doing it all, we were doing the wrong thing. And so Brother Branham taught us that on, on Christmas Day to remember, it's a day to stop and remember, much like Thanksgiving, to stop and remember God sent a love gift to the world. And for us to remember that and that as we celebrate with our family, our celebration isn't with wine and alcohol and, and, and evil gifts, but our, our, our celebration is a remembrance of Jesus Christ. God's love gift to the world. So today, with that, we want to speak about what God has done in our generation. Let's turn back to the book of Luke, chapter 2, and verse 1. And just to give you a little break, I'm going to have you to stand again. Luke, chapter 2, and verse 1. We will read here as I begin my Christmas message, Down from His Glory. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, 
every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For you, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. God bless you can be seated. As I said this morning, I'm going to speak on down from his glory. You know, this is the greatest news flash in the history of mankind. God had become man. And I'm, I'm not speaking about a minor God either, but the Almighty who took on human flesh. And this caused a multitude of angels to praise God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Angels had seen a lot of things since creation. No doubt. They had watched God as he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and, and watched with amazing, amazement as, and seeing the look of, of on his face and as he lovingly formed the face of Adam and, and then would breathe life into this. But here God was doing something that made angels shout, glory to God, glory to God in the highest. Because the almighty God had this time made himself a body and stepped out into it. Why? Why did he do this? Because we needed peace. Peace. Peace on earth. Peace where? Peace with men? Well, yeah, there was lots of wars. There were Romans ruling over Jews. There were savage and cruel things that were happening then as well as now. But no, God wasn't coming to bring peace between Romans and Jews. Man's heart had been turned from God, from the garden, and sin had caused his heart to turn with enmity against God and total rebellion against him. Man was himself was at war with God. This is where the peace was coming. 
the peace promise would be God reconciling man to himself. Do you know the last battle that will happen before the millennium is about to take place? And it will be fought between God and man. There's a battle fixing to happen. And it's far, it is far to eradicate those who wouldn't receive his peace. You know, as, as you know, Israel has done everything in the world to pacify the, the Palestinians. But they don't want, they don't want peace. They have one desire and that is to eradicate Israel. So they can offer them land, they can give them concessions, they can promise them anything, just leave us alone. It ain't going to happen. They want one thing, to destroy Israel. The same thing, you know, God has offered peace. He's done everything else to this sinful world that he could do by even coming and giving his own life. And yet in doing everything that he's done, man doesn't want peace with God. So God will eradicate those who will not come to peace. And if you will see him with me as he will come just before the, just before the millennium in Revelation 19, 11, we'll see him coming this time, not as a baby, but as a man of war. For he says in Revelation 19, 11, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. I want you to know many crowns because he had many victories. I want to say I believe he's wearing my crown too. Amen, because the victories that have been in my life was his victories. So he had many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth, goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nation and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and as he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest of the wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his tie a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond and small, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the throne and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet which wrought miracles before him and with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the th- Upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. If you realize for a moment, you're going to be at this battle too. Absolutely. 
Amen. Somebody asked me, Brother Tim, do you think you'll be at the Battle of Armageddon? I said, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Amen. Because I, I am one of those seen in the Bible, following this great king, coming back to take this world over with, that there may be peace on earth. But you know, as Brother Branham told us in the message ashamed of him, he talked about how this evil last generation is so full of putrefied sores. It's sinful and adulterous. Everything uh, is, 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 that has been decent has become indecent. And he, he, he talked about how he went to Africa, down in the jungles of Africa, and the safari hunters there, they had their high-powered radios on there to, to hear Elvis Presley and Pat Boone and them guys with rock and roll twist. And the, the natives trying to, to act along with them and all jerking their heads and all. And, and, and he said, he said um, you know, and he describes how that they did there as they would respond to the music. And he says, this spirit is not only in America. It has spread itself all over the world to bring them to the battle of Armageddon. They act like that wherever nation they come from, Africa, India, wherever it is, that vulgar stuff has spread all over the earth just by one man starting it. And so as the gospel and the power of God is spread around the world and the separation time is taking place when God is calling a bride and the devil is calling a church, let me be a part of the bride. Oh, I, you know, I, I think, you know, people are being gathered and even, even by their music. How in the world could you go and, and sit and listen to the rock and roll, uh, you know, which was baby stuff with Elvis Presley and now has progressed forward. Are you with me? How in the world could you participate that or enjoy it or, or take it in when you realize that music? Is gathering you to a battle against God and it's feeding the rebellion in your heart. You'll be at the battle, all right, but you're not on the winning side. Now, thinking of this, I just say again, God's calling a bride. Let me be a part of the bride. You can go be whatever you want to, but let me be a part of the bride. Now, thinking of this today, God's plan of redemption is absolutely so marvelous. It's truly the greatest of all. It's God's master plan. Redemption story of, of the God who became the Savior. It fills our hearts with wonderment. To just to even, it's so hard to con- comprehend how that the almighty God would become flesh and dwell among us for the purpose of restoring mankind's fellowship with him. He wanted to bring peace between you and him. Are you with me? This is where he wants the peace. Between you and him. Because born in sin as you was, shaping in iniquity as you are. Coming to this world speaking lies as you did. Your heart was set against God and you were at war against God. But I'll tell you, God came down to become your sin that you might become his righteousness to bring a peace and a fellowship between you and him. 
This started way back in the eternals before time began. In the first step of God's condescending as the invisible God, the fullness of his attributes was released from that invisible God from his very heart. And the Logos, the pillar of fire, wrapped himself around the, the word as it was. The word, the Logos, there comes forth as a, a ball of flaming fire. And so in the beginning was the word. The beginning began of everything, beginning with the word. If you see in the scripture, the ending of all the evil on the world ends with the word. The word coming out of his mouth. Are you with me? So in the beginning was the word. This was when God came into a form where the word, the logos, began And from there, he would begin the creation. The creation, and not only creation, but the heart, the plan and the heart purpose of God would begin to be released. It was the lonely God wanted a family. This is what it's all about. He wanted sons. He wanted daughters. He wanted them in his image. As he, as he sat in the eternals and every thought, you know, come around himself and, and, and was in there. The center of everything that God did. Everything, the very central theme, the very central thought was to have you. To have your fellowship. To be able to, to have a son's daughters that was in his image. There's nothing like family. You know, friends are wonderful, but there's nothing like family. Amen. You can even have worldly friends, but there's nothing like God's family. We got the same father. We got things in common. There's a likeness, a similarity between us all. Amen. There's a fellowship that you can't have with nobody else because they're family. You come from the same source. You have the same origin. And because of that, you have similar desires and similar attributes and similar likes. And you hate the same things. Amen. So therefore, the heart purpose of God began to be released. The lonely God wanting a family. He created a universe. I can imagine as he laid out his master plan and created worlds and then he made the earth and he's still condescending. When you think about it, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You got a, a universe there that, that, that is, is huge, it's large, it's, it's immeasurable and then they say, There's universes larger beyond that. So the universe you see is something that is smaller than the other universes out there. And then within that universe, there are are stars. And and then you condescend and then there's planets. And then finally you come down to an earth. A little bitty, tiny, green bit ball. That's just little tiny nothing. In all of the universe. Because God was condescending. And so still condescending. He would take the earth. 
and began to brood over it. And he would start with the smallest things. And he would continue with the smallest things and build up, uh, you know, life on the, on the earth in the form of vegetation and animals. And, and finally, the greatest of his creation, the crown of his creation, man. A man in his image. Amen. And he would take this as a, as a piece of dust of the earth. And he would breathe life into it. Then, of course, we know the earth became cursed because of man's fall. But I want you to understand that has never changed God's mind about dwelling here upon the earth. No matter how fallen the earth is, God will ultimately have heaven on the earth. It will come down from his glory, the new Jerusalem, descending from God in all its beauty and his purity, like a bride adorned for a husband. So the Logos, the great pillar of fire that brooded over the earth for creation, began brooding again over the fallen creation. And he called up men like Enoch to show the redemption of man for rapture. He called up man like Noah to show there would be a cleansed new earth that righteous would walk out upon. He chose men like Abraham to show he would choose a man that a nation would come from that would bless the whole earth. He raised up Noah, uh, excuse me, Moses to show that a prophet like Moses would come and lead his people from sin's bondage to a glorious liberty as the children of God. He raised up King David to show um, that as a righteous king, that God would rule the earth. The pillar of fire, the Logos, would keep brooding, revealing portions of God and, and his plans of redemption until he would finally manifest himself in his fullness of the Godhead bodily in a single body of clay. A man. This man would be the embodiment of all the laws and the prophets. Of all the former revelations of God, it would all be encapsulated within him. He would be the fulfillment of the prophets. He would be the totality of the law. He would be the wisdom of Solomon, the Psalms of David. He would be the the words of the prophets and the restorers there like Nehemiah and Ezra and the different ones. He would be all of that, the fullness of the scripture wrapped up in the one body. Every promise, every prophet, every type pointing to him that he would come. And so the Logos, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Where the Logos dwelt in a human body, which was the sacrifice. The only time that you see him as as a light in in the New Testament until after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. The only time you see him as a light was when he comes there uh, on the river Jordan and comes uh, as a light like a dove and, and descends and abides and dwells within him. 
From then on, you do not see one instance of a pillar of fire. Not one instance of the Logos of God, you know, revealing himself here, showing himself here, showing this, that, and the other. Not one visible instance, because all of that was in Jesus. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of the pillar of fire dwelt in him. There has never been before, not in any of the prophets, that the pillar of fire ever even dwelt in them, much less all of the pillar of fire. There will never again be one individual that all the pillar of fire dwells in. But on the day of Pentecost, Hallelujah, the pillar of fire was seen again and he divided himself so that each one of you could have the very life of Jesus. This is what brings peace to this earth. This is God's good will to you. Man was made in the image of God, but now in his fallen condition, And yet now God would come down in the image of man for the purpose of redemption, to make himself a body to dwell in. This is what he did. God actually took on cursed earth. Let's read it from Genesis 3.17, if you put that up for me. And, And I want you to remember, the earth had been cursed. Genesis 3:17 and Adam's he said to Adam he said because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee saying not thou shalt not eat of it saying thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee that thou shalt eat and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and the dust thou shalt return. So here it is. The ground was cursed. The earth was cursed. Man's body was cursed. You think of sometimes it's hard to believe that in one day we'll move from from, uh, from mortal to immortality? Well, back then, we moved in one day from immortality to mortality. The ground was cursed. Not only does the earth bear thickets, uh, thorns and thistles, but also we have in our own body thorns and thistles. Pain, sorrow, trouble, sickness, everything within our own body. It bears thorns and thistles. And the ground is cursed. And we're going to return to the ground. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was with my wife in her final, some of her final moments, and we'd moved her to a new hospital, which was Cornerstone. And, and there it was a kind of a extended stay hospital. And there the doctor talked with me and I talked to him and, you know, and of course I was very positive about what I believed and what I was, I was looking for the Lord to do because I'd seen the Lord heal her. And so I was expecting it again. 
And so, and so with that expectation, I was talking to the doctor, and he said, well, I guess you do know even Christians die. And I said, yes, I'm fully aware of that. I'm a pastor, and I've buried a lot of them. But the earth is cursed. And if something doesn't intervene, like a rapture, every one of us will go back to dust. I'm sorry, but you're all headed back that way. Because, you know, God is determined you are not going to take this decrepit, sin-cursed body into heaven. You're not going to live forever with deformities, with old age, with, with, with maladies, with sickness and subject. You're not going to live forever. And God is determined. I'll I'll let them live as a mortal, but I'm going to put an end to it. I'm thankful God puts an end to our mortality. Yet we struggle to live here because the veil is so dark between here and there. Can you imagine my... I I would not be able to... I would not be able to serve the Lord with, with joy and gladness watching my wife enjoy heaven. I'd be saying, why ain't I there? And that's where you would be. None of us would want to. So God allows the curtain between here to be so dark you can't see over there, but it's there. And here in the scripture this morning, here he comes bursting through that veil between the eternity and time. And he steps down into time with supernatural beings. Amen, bursting out of the heavens. An angel saying, given a message. There is given in the city of David, Christ the Lord. And here's where you'll find him. And then heavenly hosts will join him, saying, glory to God in the highest. I'm going to tell you, this world, this gospel began with the supernatural. It will end with the supernatural. The veil will be broke between here and there. And when it does, all of those on the other side will come here and we'll join with them and be glorified and go there and meet the Lord in the air. And oh, won't it be a time. You talk about a Christmas. That's going to be the greatest Christmas ever. Amen. Where we have a celebration there standing on the other side. All sorrows pass. Joy at last. Home. Finally, home. Angels have seen a lot of things since creation. No doubt did what's God as he formed Adam out of the dust. Breathed life into that body of flesh. But now here God does something that makes angels shout, glory to God in the highest. He sees them. Take and make a body of cursed earth and step into it. Isaiah saw him coming before before the birth of of the Messiah some 700 years before. His first clue was a virgin shall conceive. Isaiah 714. 
Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which meaning God with us. That here would say it would be a virgin conceive and she would bear a son and it would literally be God with us. She would conceive. Mary would conceive, but not by human ways. When Mary asked, how will I bring forth this son not knowing a man? The angel said, well, the Holy, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And that holy thing that is born of you will be the progeny of God. And furthermore, his name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And Isaiah also prophesied again of him saying, in Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice for henceforth, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. Hallelujah. I want you to know God is clad with zeal when it comes to finishing his word. And this child, God's government would be upon his shoulder. He would shoulder or take responsibility of the kingdom. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. As the Mighty God, he would be known as, as El Gabor, which means, which means the warrior God. He would literally be the warrior God. He would take on human battles. He would go through what you go through, suffer what you suffer, experience what you experience. Amen. Sure, he can know all of this by his infinite wisdom, but he wanted you to know, I am come down to be a part with you, to suffer with you, to go through what you go through, so you can know, I know how you feel, so that I could be a proper mediator between you and God. And the bridge between us and when, the, when we were standing condemned, he could say, he could turn and give the grace that was needed in our time of need. This child was promised all the way back in Genesis when man failed with the first promise of the Messiah. Genesis 3.15. I want you to think of this. Put that scripture up on the board. Look at it just for a moment. Ponder it. All the way back from Genesis. Here, as the judgment was being passed, judgment passed on the woman. Judgment passed first on the serpent, then passed upon the woman. And now, and then passed, and now will be passed on the man. But watch, he says, and I will put enmity between the woman and between her seed, thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I want you to think about it and just leave that scripture up for a moment. I want you to think about it as Adam and Eve was walking out of the garden, broken, depressed. You know, knowing they had had failed God, knowing they had done wrong. And here 
a lamb had been slain or some animal to, to put upon them. And there the bloody sheepskins flapping along on their side. And as they were going out, condemned. Condemned. You can't live in heaven. You can't live in my Eden. Sin cannot live here. You got to go. Go out. Leave. The judge was speaking. And in that moment, amen, grace overrides. And grace says, but I'm going with you. And I'm going as a seed. There will come a seed through the woman. And he will bruise the head of this serpent. He will correct what Lucifer did. Hallelujah. There's coming a time of vengeance. And I'll send my seed to bring retribution. So, yes, you're going out. You're leaving heaven. You're leaving Eden. Because that was a part of heaven on earth. Heaven had come down to earth. Are you with me? And Adam ruled that part of heaven upon the earth. Everywhere he looked, there was heaven. There was heaven with the beasts of the field. There was no, there was no evil. There was no, no, um, there was no wars between animals. There was no killing. There was no murders. There was nothing. Here is a, there was no reason to fear. There was no doubting. There was none of that. But now here sin enters in. And he said, but it can't live here in heaven. You made a choice. And this choice takes you out of heaven. It banishes you from my presence. You cannot stay in heaven and live like, I don't understand the Christian world today that thinks they can live in any kind of sin they want to and take that to heaven. Now, as they walk out, condemned, there it was, broken, crying. Eve, Brother Branham would describe her with her blonde hair and her blue eyes. So, well, where'd the other races come from? Well, if you know anything about genetics, they all lay in there. Every color, the melatonin was in them, or whatever you call it, melatonin. Yeah, got a doctor here, let him call it. They, they almost speak in tongues to me. But anyway, you know, here, you know, they, they, they have all of this and it's, it's all there. I can, I can take a, a goat and I can breed a line of goats to be pure white. I can breed another line of goats to be pure black. I can breed another line of goats that'll be spotted all over. I, I, you know, I can make, well, you know, with dogs, you can make them tall. You, you know, it's, it's by selection. So how does it happen, Brother Tim? How do we get all these races? Well, they went into different parts of the country there. And, the, and these became the predominant either colors of their skin and features and whatever. All you have to do is look at the Amish and Mennonite people and they all look alike because they're of all family lines. And so, so therefore, you can, you can see similarities in all of them that make, hey, that's an Amish man, a Mennonite man, you know, because, because they don't even take their dress. Are you with me? And so, you know, it, it all was there. So it all laid there in Adam and Eve. Blacks are not subspecies of humans. Jews are not, 
you know, some kind of foreign devil. They're all human. We're all, we all come from one source. Coming down through things. Of course, I know the serpent was mixed in there and all of that. But yet, we all still come from that same line. And so, so again, and so again, you know, here, here they were walking out, you know, blonde-headed, blue-eyed, crying, laying on the arm of, her, of Adam. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't understand what I was doing. Look what I've done. You know, well, look what I've done, Adam. You know, here I've sold a whole human race and, and weeping and crying. But, you know, in between here and the end, in the middle comes a seed. And this seed is going to conquer what the sin was in the garden. Are you with me? Come on now, follow my thought. Now then, friend, we're at the other end of the spectrum. And I want you to know this song of Solomon prophesies if you come in and say, who is that I see? Leaning on the arm of her beloved. Who is that I see coming back in the Eden again? Not defeated, not the head down, not crying, but walking arm in arm with her redeemer husband back in the Eden. Friends, we're almost there. Hallelujah. We're about to see the flip side of things and see the very end of it where there'll be a people walk back on the arms of her beloved, shouting, rejoicing. Amen. So in Genesis, he said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. Speaking of the serpent, between serpent seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. So years later, there would be in the days of Isaiah another clue given. A virgin would conceive. His name would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God came down in a blood cell. Not through a man. But by the Holy Ghost. And in that virgin womb, a tabernacle for the purpose of death. Remember this, he came to die. He was born to die. Amen, so that you could live. The seed of the woman came in order that he would be bruised to bring our salvation. When the, when the Holy Ghost came upon Mary, he created it within her, the womb, in her womb, the cell that would multiply and become the body of our Lord. And that cell was created. This was the beginning of the creation of God. This is who Jesus is. And that Holy One was filled with holy blood, even the blood of God. And that tabernacle came to birth. He grew to be a man. He went to the Jordan and there that sacrifice was washed of John in the river called Jordan. And when that acceptable sacrifice rose out of the water, God came and dwelt in him, filling him with the Spirit without measure. I think this is so beautiful. I think when, when John was, was preaching down in the wilderness, and they had all come to him, and 
And now he is, he is preaching about the Messiah coming and you got to get cleansed and get ready for him because we're in the day for it. And finally, when he comes, he looks over at him as he appears and says, behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Well, you know, there have been many lambs. Come on. They believe it was a religion based on lamb's blood that a lamb would die for your sin. But now here, his, he preaches, he looks and he says, behold or look, look, here's what I want you to see. This is the lamb of God. This, can I say it this way? This is God as a lamb. And he has come not to take away just a man's sin temporarily, but deal with the sins of the world. That prophet, as he stood there looking for him, you know, we realized what God had done. God had come into this little cell in the womb of Mary. Now remember, we do not believe that he was half God and half man. We don't believe he was part Jew and part God. We believe he was all God. Amen. Although he was born in the womb of a, a woman, it was not it was not God having you know, place in a seed and in, in, in Mary's egg. She, it was God placing a life, a germ of both seed and egg in Mary's womb. And, when he, and, and that which would be born would not be born of man. It, you know, I explained it this way. You know, years ago, they tried something at the Lackabee Dairy. They perfected it later. But, um, you know, because in this time, I don't think they got a lot of, or, uh, if any, uh, conceptions. But now, what, what they would do is, even with dairy goats and even cows, when I had the registered Angus and we, we bred, we could actually take an embryo that was put in nitrogen and was frozen there. And then we would take... Um, the cow was to be taken, and it could be a nondescript cow. It could be, even though this is Black Angus, um, and could be registered in the herd book, and it was a fertilized cell and was now frozen in deep uh, nitrogen. We would, we, you could take that animal, it could be a scrub cow, nondescript. It could be a zebu, it could be a Hereford, it could be anything. And it could be a jersey, it could be a crossbred, it could be a Heinz 57. It didn't matter. It was just a cow. And you, you, you waited until, you know, and gave her so much drugs and so much things until you um, caught her at the right cycle of life and then insert by little, little tiny surgery, this really unseen to the naked eye, little embryo. And when that calf would be born, it would be born as black as all the other black Angus. It would not have any trait of the miniature zebu in it at all. It would be a, it would grow up to be of the stature of black Angus. It would have all the traits, but it would nurse from the zebu mama. But that was not its real mama. 
She was only the incubator. So science has found out they can do that. And by the way, they can register that offspring in, as a purebred in the Black Angus Registry. Well, God started doing this a long time before man got smart enough to do this. In fact, with Mary, he took an embryo. Hallelujah. An embryo of his own life. Amen. By creation. And he placed it there in Mary's womb. And now it, be, you know, it began to grow. And the mother's vitamins from her blood, just like the nondescript cow would do for the black angus cow, began to feed. And then, you know, as he, uh, and so he would, she would take of the, the, the cow will take of the grass or the vegetation to eat it. It'll provide vitamins and food for the, for the embryo inside and it will grow. Same thing. You know, God was, uh, was a, take Mary now and he builds cursed earth around this embryo. And when he gets old enough and is born, is old enough to eat, what is that? It's the dust of the earth. And his body grows. And he gets taller and big. He becomes a man. All made out of dust of the earth, wrapped around a life. And so now it's fully matured. It's at 30 years of age. And it's now baptized in, in obedience to God. And as he went out, I think the prophet must have been really shocked when he looks and he says, sees who it is. And he says, well, I have need to be baptized today. Why you come to me? He said, allow it to be so. For it's becoming to us to fulfill all righteousness. For I'm the sacrifice and I must be washed. And so when he went out of the waters, the Bible said, and I saw heavens open. And the prophet saw it all happen. And he said, I saw the heavens open. And here come God descending out of heaven in the form of a dove. And a voice saying, this is my beloved son. Or this is my part of the earth that I have redeemed. And from this part, I will redeem the rest of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But this is my word made manifest. Thanks be to God. Oh my, Satan had held the earth all to this time. But now there is a part of redeemed earth. I want you to get it. There is a part of earth that has been redeemed. That's from that is going to redeem all of the earth. Hallelujah. Amen. I, wanna th- I want you to think when he was born in the manger of your heart. What did he do for you? He took and redeemed cursed earth. Now these hands that used to serve the devil, they're no longer raised to praise the devil. They are raised to serve God. Our mouth that used to come and speak evil now speaks the word of God. Come on, church. Amen. What is it? It is God. It is redemption plan. To bring you back to God again. To bring you back to immortal life. And immortal life has already started on the inside of you. Bringing your cursed earth to serve the mighty God. Hallelujah. 
No wonder your hands worship him. No wonder holy hands are lifted up to God because they have been sanctified by the blood and brought in obedience to the Holy Ghost. What happened? There at, at the river Jordan, the dove, which was God, descended from heaven with a voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased to dwell. You say, Brother Tim, but I wish that would happen to me at my, my time. When I was converted, it did. Hallelujah, it did. You may not have seen it, but you experienced it. Amen. The dove, the Holy Ghost, came upon you when you became a lamb, submitted yourself to the will of God. Amen. It came down into you and heavens opened and the Spirit of God came in. Are you with me? And God identified you by the baptism of the Holy Ghost as his beloved son who he was now pleased to dwell in. He couldn't dwell in you as an alcoholic. He couldn't dwell in you as a sinner. He couldn't dwell in you as a dope head. You was at war with God, but through the blood of his cross, he made peace between you and him. And there, your nature was changed. And here, he, the dove, comes to lead the lamb. And now, you follow him. Now, you're his servant. Now you're his child. He came to redeem that part of the earth. He was the beginning of the creation of God because God is not a creation, only in Christ is he a creation. He was the beginning of the creation of God. And God redeemed that body. Now, stop just for a moment. The Bible speaks of it as a new creation. Because the old creation, of course, you say, well, Brother Tim, there was, there was creation before this. No, that's not what we said. The beginning of the creation of God, where God was created. Get the thought now. Now, you can't create God. So God did what? He made himself a body. And became a part of the earth. And he was the beginning of the creation of God. Because only in Christ is he a creation. And God redeemed that body. And when he come down saying this is my beloved son. But the old creation which you were first born of. It is now dead. Dead to you. Amen. You can see it is dying and it will die. In fact it will all pass away. Are you with me? Amen. But not you. Because you've been born twice. You have been born the second time. The first time you were born, you were born of the old creation to die. But of the new creation, you died to that old creation and you was born anew into a new creation. Hallelujah. And you can never die because you are created by God for God and of God because you are God and offspring of God. Hallelujah. You say, well, now how can that be? Well, is this is this simple. A cat gives birth to kittens. A horse gives birth to horses. Elephants give birth to horses. Oh, you're listening, are you? So elephants give birth to elephants, not a different species. Somebody with me? 
Amen. So, okay, so when God gives birth, it's not going to be a horse, an elephant, a dog, a pig. When God gives birth, he's going to give birth to himself. When God gives birth, come on somebody, then that offspring is not anything less than God. It is God. Beloved, now you are the sons of God. Not you're going to be, but you're already right now sons and daughters of the most high God. So he came to redeem the part of the earth. He was the beginning of the creation of God. When he died, he shed his blood, and the blood cell was broke open at Calvary. The perfect life of God was then liberated from that blood cell to come back upon the sinner who would accept him as Christ, the Savior. Turn with me to Romans 5 and verse 8. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what this tells me? I didn't do nothing to deserve it. But while I was still a sinner, amen, he died for me. All right, what? Much more than being now justified, declared righteous by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So notice here, this is we were enemies. Now we are reconciled through his death. So, you know, God, John screamed out, Behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Brother Branham describes it this way, and I think it's so beautiful. This is from the Lamb and the Dove, and I have several of these, even from the church in its condition. So, you know, if I just kind of go from one to the other, you understand. When this dove come from heaven, the meekest bird of all the heavens come to the meekest animal on the earth, heaven and earth kissed each other. Heaven and earth was united together. Man and God was reconciled in one body, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what this meant? You see what this meant with God to become flesh? Heaven and earth was now reconciled, joined together in one body. Back in Eden, they were joined together. Heaven was on earth. But now what happened at, at here Here, right now, man and God was reconciled in one body, the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly it was. It was the God of heaven in the form of a dove, the Son of God in the form of a lamb. And the dove come down upon the lamb and abode on him. Never just come down and lit and went away. It stayed there. Oh, that's the beauty of the New Testament birth. That's the beauty of the Holy Ghost. It's not an anointing that comes and goes. It's not an anointing that that comes and shows marvelous things to Moses on the mount and then he disobey and can't go in the promised land. It's not, it's not an anointing that comes and you've got the power and the, you know, the, the zeal and you kill 400 of the, of the prophets of Baal and then you run for your life and God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
I didn't tell you to come here. What are you doing here? What doest thou here, Elijah? I didn't send you here. Well, well they, they said they were going to kill me and I'm the only one and, you know, all of this and, you know, all of it. You see, the spirit had left. And when the anointing left, what did he do? He, he ran, went places out of the will of God. Are you with me? Amen. But that's the way it was in the Old Testament. That's not the way it is in the New Testament. When he comes upon you, he abides forever. He doesn't come and go. He will never leave you or forsake you. Come on. Amen. He abides with you forever. You are sealed to the day of redemption. Oh, yeah, I know some people get it like the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit gets on their spirit. And you can have it there every day of your life and go to hell. Fail the Lord. You can be a Balaam. Have the Spirit of God descend upon you and leave. But I'll tell you, if you're ever filled with God's Spirit sealed to the day of redemption, you can never be more lost. Hallelujah. No more than God can be lost. Amen. Because that's eternal life. You're sealed to the day of redemption. And guess what? Satan is sealed out. Hallelujah. It was the God of heaven come down the Lamb and obeyed him. Never just jumped up, come down and, and lit and went away. It stayed there. It was satisfied. And the Lamb was satisfied to have the dove. Look at him. Being led by the Father, not his own will, the will, the Father's will that sent him. I come not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. But a lamb, he says, is so gentle, it can be led. See, this is where you have to come. Because you was born with beast nature. But you need the Holy Spirit to come upon you to, 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 to bring you to submission. When you become like a lamb willing to be led by the Holy Ghost. Well, God, I, I, I want the Holy Ghost, but I want to keep my worldly boyfriend. You've got to be led by the Holy Ghost. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be, but I, I, I'm not going to give up. I, I just can't let go of my pornography. You know, it's got me hooked. You've got to be submitted to God. Once you become a lamb, the dove will come upon you. Now, so there he says, that's the reason God represents Christ as a lamb, himself as a dove. And on the day that John baptized Jesus at the River Jordan, one of the greatest events that had ever taken place, taken place right there. Notice how beautiful the lamb, the meekest of all the creatures of the earth, and the dove, and the meekest of all the fowls of the earth, of heaven. Now, that's the only way they could ever be united. And it's the only way the dove would ever come on the lamb. And when the dove came down, John saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. John said, I bear record seeing the Spirit of God like a dove coming down and abiding on him. Hallelujah. There you are. The dove and the Lamb united together. That's when God and man became one. That's when heaven and earth embraced each other. When God and Christ became one, when the dove came on the lamb, heaven and earth kissed each other. Man and God was reconciled. It's the greatest moments the world ever had that when man and God was reconciled together, the dove and the lamb came together. Amen. That's when God was made flesh. 
brought it. That's when God came down from spirit form and was made a man and dwelt among us. That's when all eternity embraced each other. That's when the human fallen race of Adam's people and Jehovah God every and every angel came together when God and man was made one on that great memorial day when John baptized Jesus. Think of that. Heaven and earth kissing each other. This is what he's saying. I've come down from my glory to bring peace on earth. I don't see that peace. Brother Tim, the Houthis are, and the rebels there are bombing the ships in the Suez Canal and in the Indian Sea, and there's trouble here, and Russia's after down Ukraine's neck, and Israel's down rooting out the Hamas, and there ain't no peace. That's not where the peace was yet to be. The peace was to come to bring, to stop the enmity between you and God. And man and God was reconciled in the man Christ Jesus so he could give his life to reconcile you back to God again. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And you're recipients of that divine grace today. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Down from his glory. Ever living story. Let's sing that again. I know he sang it earlier, but I want to sing it again. Down from his glory. Ever living story. My God and Savior King. Amen. Sister Michelle James, it's so good to see you and your son in church this morning. God bless you. Brother Scott, Sister Gender, welcome back. God bless you. So nice to have you again. Yeah. Sister Colleen, God bless you. Nice to have you in church with us today. What he did brought peace, but it also brought a brotherhood. Now I can call you brother. And now there's, and here in Christ, we're of the God race. There's no such things as white or black or brown. We're the God race. He is. Even we that were born wrong can now be born right. Even those that were born afflicted can be born perfect. Peace on earth. God given his love gift. Now, you might buy the most expensive present there is. You might can buy and afford to buy your wife a, I don't know, a Lexus or Tesla or a Lamborghini or whatever the things are. Maybe you can buy her a piece of bologna. 
doesn't really matter. There's no gift you could give to somebody else that could ever equal this gift. There's nothing like it. When Isaiah saw this gift, he said, oh, He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the mighty God. Why, He's the everlasting Father. What the world can't understand today, we understand. God laid off his, his robes and became a man. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? He did it to bring peace. Have you got peace this Christmas? Walk in that love. Walk in that peace. Down from his glory. Everlasting stone. What happened? My God. My God, my Savior. What was his name? Jesus. Jesus, Jehovah, Savior. He would come another time, Jehovah, Messiah, healer. Jehovah, Jireh, provider. But this time, Jehovah, Savior. He was a man, a man of sorrows, cheer. And I, he literally fought our battles. Oh, how I love you. How I do. Can you say it this morning? He's my breath, He's my sunshine, He's my all in all. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The great creator became my Savior and all God's What this That in the dead of night, when all hope was gone, when we were without. in our life. He laid aside his splendor, left all of heaven, came down 
your earth condescended. sign this is what the prophet said I'll give you a sign God speaking through him not the sign of some white collared priesthood not the sign of wealth and power there's nothing that sign that you want or that you think is suitable there's nothing in the sign I want to give you but it's an everlasting sign Men will think it's nothing. But it's the greatest sign of all. It's Jehovah standing in the courtyard, bruised and bleeding with thorns on his brow and spit on his face, mocked and said it not. Jehovah despised and rejected and hanging naked on a cross while hypocrites will jeer at him and dare him to come down. Jehovah dying. Jehovah praying and nothing happening. Then Jehovah dies. That's the sign for all men now and there's not another like it. It's the greatest sign of all. Then darkness would cover the earth. They would put him in a tomb and lay there for three days and nights. Then there would be an earthquake that would shatter the gloom of the night and Here he rises up out of the tomb. It was Jehovah coming forth. It was Jehovah ascending on high. Jehovah then coming back like a rushing mighty wind with flames of fire. Jehovah to come walk in the midst of his church and empower his people. Once more, Jehovah came and this time to come and stay in his people. And again, I want to report to you, Jehovah of miracles is not just with us but he's in us today and he heals the sick he can raise the dead he manifests himself by the spirit Jehovah come back speaking in tongues and giving the answer back in interpretation he come down find the lowest of the lowest the dirty prostitute and raise her to sin no more He come to the drunkard with fly blows in his face as he lays unconscious in the gutter to raise him up. We don't ever have to go back to the bottle again. Yeah, Jehovah came. He came to manifest himself in flesh. And now he's here today to manifest himself through flesh. 
what come the sin bringing us redemption in the day of night not one thing
my family to come as we're singing this to come we got a song we're going to sing for you this morning I'm going to let you remain standing as we sing it but it's going to be bring us to the conclusion of the service so as my family comes and gathers this morning we got a song we're going to sing to you as a group God bless you we love you pray that God's blessings will be upon you as you gather with your families if you remember It's because of the great gift God sent is why we are here today. And you, if I could just say one thing, if you have not received the gift of Christ in your life, please do so. The world is getting darker all the time. Without his light to guide you, to guide you, you'll walk in darkness. And it's an evil world out there. But let him touch your life today. God bless you. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. has happened. And now, And he made
the church, Merry Christmas. One, two, three, Merry Christmas. God bless you.